Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. But for today, we are talking about the third church, the Church of Pergamum. Now, the disciple John, he was on this island, and he was... Um, he was exiled there along with a bunch of other criminals because Domitian, the, the emperor, did not like the fact that he was preaching um, about Jesus and his lordship. And so he was exiled to this island. And um, he had this, it, John had this incredible encounter with Jesus. And, and he was given these visions and he started writing these letters and other things that, that Christ had given him messages for. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. So would you please, um, Eli, go to just the, the first slide there for me. So I, what I did is I tried to condense it to, for us kind of as a good memory hook for us to remember um, in short what these churches, the first churches were about. So Ephesus be full of endurance. Do not forget your first love. The endurance was, Jesus was saying, you are doing this so well. And they were talking, Jesus said, your acts of service and all of these things that you're doing in Ephesus is remarkable. And remember, Ephesus is where John lived, the disciple John, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so this church had just immense historic value. They were doing incredible things, but Jesus said, this is what I have against you. Do not forget your first love. And so what we did is we said, okay, at the end of the service, we said, Lord, how can we respond to this? And we worshiped together, and we said, Lord, search our hearts. See if we too, here at Life Assembly, need to make adjustments in our lives. Lord, are you, are we behaving in a way, is our hearts in a way that you are our first love? Because it's amazing that so many times we want to do good things, but Jesus focused on the value of the heart. And this is what was so important about Ephesus. Smyrna, last week, be faithful, do not be afraid. Be faithful. Jesus said there is more persecution coming, but in the midst of all of that, some of you are going to go to jail, but do not be afraid. And he, and he gives them, he said, look Beyond this life, there is a better life in store for you. There is a future hope for each one of us. And he said, in the midst of all of this persecution, be faithful. Church, say, be faithful. That's what we talked about last week. How, Lord, how can we continue to be faithful? And then this is where we are today. Pergamum, be vigilant. Do not compromise. Do not compromise. So we're just going to take a quick trip on the map here. Oh, now it went in the right order. All right, so here's Patmos. So if you need to look up one of those or whatever, um, this is the, the little island of despair, we can call it. This is where the criminals are, and this is where John is. And uh, the Lord comes to him, and he is writing on this island. And uh, some of you might not care at all. For me, this was just remarkable to me after looking at this on the map, that the way that it's ordered in your Bible, when you open up the book of Revelation, you start looking at the churches, it is in order. And it's just, it's just, it's logical. It makes total sense that, hey, when you go and disperse these letters, you just go in order and you're just going to drop off these letters um, as a church. So this here is Ephesus, um, extremely rich port city, same thing here with um, Smyrna. And then here we are today moving up to number three, 
And we are in Pergamum. Now, when we start reading here, you're going to see why all of a sudden this gets to be very important. So, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. Okay, who has their word is a double-edged sword? Jesus. Very good. Very good. The double-edged sword. We see this throughout Scripture. The word is like a double-edged sword. And this is Jesus. So it's already self-describing. These are the words of him who has a double-edged sword. So we know these are the words of Jesus. If you have a Bible that separates the red letters from the other, then you know that that, that is, in your Bible, going to be the words of Jesus. Verse 13. Jesus said, I know where you live. Where Satan has his, what? Throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Where Satan has his throne. This right here is um, now in Berlin, Germany. It was taken out, it was excavated by, um, I don't know, if, if you remember Indiana Jones, but I'm pretty sure he was involved in this situation because during World War II, we know that the Nazis like to do a lot of excavating, but they literally took this out. And as you can see, it looks like a throne, doesn't it? This, this was an altar that was going up and, and the worship to Zeus was a huge, and we know by just Greek mythology that Zeus was, was at the top of the chain, right, as far as gods are concerned. And so I find it fascinating that, that Jesus is saying to John, hey, I want Pergamum to know I know where they live. I want them to know that I know the type of environment that they live in. He calls it the throne of Satan. I mean, this is just, it's just remarkable. This, this here, um, it's hard to see because of the quality of the picture that I got. It's called the Great Freeze, and uh, it's F-R-I-E-Z-E. And you can see the art along the sides, and it's where like the gods and the giants are, are fighting one another. This is the type of environment that, that the Christian church was trying to survive in. So if you can just for a minute, just imagine that you are living in Pergamum at this time, and the, the type of demonic, pagan activity that's happening, you're watching people going up this great um, altar here to, to give and to burn sacrifices to Zeus and to different gods. This is usually the altar was in front of the actual temple, so this isn't the actual temple, but it looks like a throne. So again, when you read this in verse 13, I know where you live, Jesus says, where Satan has his throne. So he's, he's saying, you live in such an evil, evil city. And then it goes to 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And I, I should go back here. Antipas, it says, he was killed, a faithful witness. He was likely the first Christian martyr that died in this city. And Jesus points out and said, even when he was, mar was a martyr for the faith, you still were faithful. I mean, think of that. Think of that, friends. We're in Maple Grove, and one among us is 
killed for his faith in Jesus, why we attend, why we come, why we worship. How many would be here next Sunday? And, and Jesus looks at him and says, look at your faithfulness. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Continue in the faith. And then verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold on to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they did two things. They ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold on to the teachings of Nicolaitans. Now, we learned back in Ephesus where we talked about this again. The Nicolaitans were compared to Balaam and Balak. So we're going to talk about them in just a second because they had two main sins. So verse 16, here is what God directs them. Here's what Jesus says to John. This is what you, the church, needs to do. Repent, therefore, and then there's an otherwise. Otherwise, I will come to you and you will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Remember the sword, double-edged sword? We don't want to go against the word of the Lord, okay? Verse 17, whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Boy, this is relevant with what we just sang, isn't it? That we will not go before the Lord, that we go where the Holy Spirit leads us. Here's what the Spirit says to the churches, to those, to the one who is victorious. I will give you some of the hidden manna. We'll talk about that later. Also, I will give the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And that is the word of the Lord for the church of Pergamum. So once again, we see these two people, Balak and, and Balaam. So what's the big deal? Throughout Scripture, these people's names come up over and over again, from Numbers until through the New Testament as well. So Balak, if you remember, because we did briefly mention it, he was the king of the Moabites. If you read scripture, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the Moabites were just a constant thorn in the side of Israel. And they, at this point, Balak was fearful of Israel. He was watching them, and Israel um, had the Lord's favor, and they were starting to take back the land. And Balak was so scared that he hired somebody. He hired a seer. He hired somebody that could go and place curses on people, that could bless people, and he was going to take out of the treasury and pay this man to curse Israel. And this happens from Numbers chapter 22, and it starts going on for chapters and chapters as this king is trying to get Balaam to curse Israel. And every time, and, and I'm, again, for those of you that know this story well, know that I'm shortening this, but for the sake of time, we can't go too deeply into it. But every time Balaam stood over the mountains and looked at Israel, and you can, re you can read through the scripture the blessings that he blessed, how he blessed them, he tried to curse them. And as he did, the blessings of the Lord poured out of his mouth because God protected his people. God was covering his people. A few weeks ago, I loved the sermon that we did on Psalms 91 and, and the protection of God and, and that we as people are under the wings of God. And here, it's just this incredible picture of, of Israel like being protected 
by the wings of, of God. And, and as these curses tried to come, only blessings could come. It's just, it's just a, it's powerful. It's powerful. So this story repeats over and over and over again. Why? So here God protected Israel from a curse. And what, what I find so interesting is that he didn't give up. He wanted a payday. Because this curse couldn't happen, he still wanted to get paid by, by Balak. So he had to change his strategy. So what did he do? So Balaam realized that he couldn't say or make curses, but we actually already read what happened. And uh, that, that is um, in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read it again. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So Balaam taught Balak witchcraft, sins, and how to entice Israel to move from under the wings of God to come out onto their own. And so Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. I don't know if I, I had this one for you, Eli. It's okay. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge again in this immorality with the Moabite women. So the king, remember, is Balak. These are his people whom invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. It's so interesting that this historic sin that happened centuries and centuries before is now coming back to Pergamum. It's, it's coming back. And just, just think of this for a second. God is protecting them, but they willingly left the commandments of God and went out from underneath the wings of the God's protection. And, you know, and I, when I've been thinking about this, and I've just been, Lord, this is, this is so many times us that we turn around in the elevator. We do, we, 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 we move from what we know is right and we go our own way. The protection of God was with his people when they were obedient to him. But then they turned in the elevator. In 1 Corinthians 10, We've talked about this before as one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in the Bible. It says that God will not, you know, people, people interpret it as that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that's not what the Bible says. Um, it says that he will not give you more temptation than you can handle. Because I don't know about you, but I've handled things in life that were more than I could handle. And I, I gave them to God. So don't ever say that verse to somebody who's in the midst of grief. God won't give you more than you can handle. 
that's just a terrible verse to say to anybody, okay? And especially knowing that it was wrong. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will not give you more temptation than anybody else, that all temptation happens. You and I are tempted. We are all tempted. And the promise of God is in our temptation, he provides a way out for us. And I, I remember thinking this. I remember thinking, Lord, I need to think about this one for a second. And it took more than a second because I've sinned more than, it, than I would like to admit. And I, I began to reflect and I started to think of the times where I was, fell into temptation. And I thought, and every single time I reflected back on it, and I could think of the time that God gave me a way out and I didn't take it. Think about it. I, I challenge you to do this. Think back maybe to your younger years or, or maybe a time in your life where, where you weren't living the way that you should have. And, and I dare you to think of a time where there wasn't a way out that God provided for you. Because once I knew the scripture and it was in me, when I got into bad situations... I was looking for a way out, and God always gave me a way out. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable promise for us. We are all tempted. And here, what, what Balaam did is he went to the king of the Moabites, and he said, okay, well, spiritually, Israel's protected, so now we have to go after their desires, their flesh. So we are going to tempt them with their flesh. Let's get our Moabite women and let's have them start pursuing these Israelite men. Let's target their lusts. And in so doing, they are going to start worshiping our gods, and then we are going to have them. And that is exactly what happened. They stepped out of the control and under the wings of what God had and how he was protecting Israel. And, and some, some would say, and I've had this conversation many times with, with people, especially young people that are trying to work out their faith, they're like, well, why didn't God just make them? Well, now you're starting to get in, into some pretty, I mean, now you're starting to talk about the theology of, of, well, did God create robots or not? I mean, God could make us into robots and we could do exactly what he programmed us to do. But I can tell you what, if I controlled my wife to the point where she could only do what I told her to do, and I had her more like a slave, how would I ever know that she loved me? She never had a choice, right? Our relationship with God, and we looked at Ephesus, his value was not on what the people were doing, it's is the heart right behind it. The matters of the heart are so imperative and important to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for us, friends, this is the way that we're, we're looking at this, is saying we need to make sure that our hearts are right and everything else is going to begin to fall into place after that. The message of Pergamum, be vigilant. Do not turn in the elevator. Do not compromise. And this is the word of the Lord for us today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and the years remaining in our lives. The people there wanted it both ways. They wanted to be able to be a part of the city. They wanted to be a part of all the games. They wanted to be a part of the parties. 
What does that saying go? They wanted their cake and they wanted to eat it too. They wanted it both ways. The city of Pergamum was a great city. It had incredible historic value. If some of you can think back into your days of history where the uh, Library of Alexandria had been burned down. This was the greatest historic travesty um, of that time that they believed that there were over 400,000 writings that, that had been destroyed in that fire. Pergamum was the next city. It had an incredibly great library. They project that there were about 200,000 writings that were in this library. This was an incredible intellectual hub. And every five years in this city, there was this, uh, they're called the Pergamene Games, where people would come all over and they would, they would fight and they would have all these games. And during this time, if you were not worshiping the emperor and the other pagan gods, there was complete rejection towards you. And, and it's interesting about this is that we read in, in Revelation about a, a time where, where the Christians weren't able to buy and to sell. Well, that was actually happening then. If you were not sacrificing, if you were not participating, they could take your land and they would not feed you. You could not actually pay. There was so much happening. And, and again, I am so reassured that, that Jesus knew this and he tells them, I know the environment in which you live. So the church, Pergamum, was, they were, there was goodness that was happening. There were parts they stuck with the faith. And so during this persecution, they stayed and, and they kept pursuing. There is this however part the culture began to seep into the church. And those of you who are older and have been serving the Lord for a long time in this place, you can see it better than a lot of our younger generations. You, you can look and you can see the seepage of the world and its systems and how they've come into the church and how the church is just blind and we're sitting here like the frog in the kettle. And for some here, it's all they know. The church of Pergamum began to turn on the elevator. They allowed the gods of their city and culture to become yoked with them. They tried to adapt. They tried to just be relevant with the city. They loved Jesus. They did. They truly loved Jesus. And Jesus points it out. You've been faithful. You've stuck with me. But you're allowing, you're allowing Balaam and Balak to come in to the church, which means you are not living according to what the Bible is saying. They're allowing immorality inside of the church, and they're saying it's okay. And they're allowing them to sacrifice to other gods. Sometimes I like to think of it in a sarcastic tone. I don't know if you do that. So it's like going, does anybody know how offensive God is being over this? He's telling the church, they, telling Pergamum, us, that we actually have to be different to serve him? Can you imagine that, the nerve of God? 
that the church or that we are supposed to be people who live contrary to what God has commanded? How dare God make demands on us? Who does he think that he is? Or maybe we should say how dare we think that God should listen to our self-serving demands. Why would we think that God should conform to us? Why, why would that even enter our minds? I think of a, if you have a big ocean wave, if you've ever been on the ocean or maybe been up north and during a storm and Lake Superior is like just rocking, it's about to cover one of those, you know, just amazing structures out there to try and protect the Bay Area and and you're seeing that. And I just want you to think of like a drop of water being dropped. And this drop of water's purpose is to reroute the wave. Right? We're going to just drop that drop of water in there. And because that, that drop is just, man, he, that drop is going to make a difference. Now, we all know that that's not even possible. It's swallowed up by the, by the overwhelming force of the wave, obviously. So why on earth would we think that we could conform God to our image? Why would we think that we could conform God to the ways that we want to go? What makes us think that we could redirect God and his ways? We can go to um, Isaiah. Yeah, there, you got it. Isaiah 45, 9. Let me catch up on my little, I'll just. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pot shards. Among the pot shards on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Romans 9, 20. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? And to the next one in Romans. I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Those who are causing you to turn in the elevator. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Again, what did Balak and Balaam do? They went after the appetites of Israel. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceived the minds of the naive. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent and about what is evil. We are called to be wise about what we are facing in this world. We have to use the wisdom of God. We have to understand that God has put these commandments to protect us. We are brought underneath the wings of the Almighty God to be protected. Let's not move from underneath the wings of God. I see the goodness of God throughout Revelation and specifically in this situation. A good mo mother or father 
is doing what with their children? Trying to redirect them, trying to protect them, trying to keep them out of harm's way when they're going in directions that they shouldn't go. Why? Because we need to keep them to a degree underneath our wings because we know that there will be nothing good that will come if we just let them go. And this is exactly what God was doing. God is protecting Israel. God is protecting you and protecting me. And, and God is protecting us and, and giving us directions on how to live our lives and saying, listen, I know your body craves this. I know that your mind wants this. But let me tell you, there is a path that leads to destruction. And if you follow that, that's where it's going to lead you. So come with me. Come with me. Let me protect you. Let me guide you. And the answer that Jesus gives in this to the people of Pergamum is say, repent. There is a time of repentance for each one of us. And friends, if you're in a place in your life and you're like, yeah, this, this is totally me, this, he's telling us right now what we must do. Repent. What does that mean? It means to, to turn. It, mean, it means to go a different direction. That, that we say, Lord, what I have done here is wrong. Forgive me for leaving and going out from underneath your wings to the Moabite women. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. There are two other brief mentions here before we wind down this morning. One is he talks about the hidden manna, that there's a hidden manna for God's people. Well, what was, what was manna about? In Israel... Manna is what sustained God's people. It, it was sustenance. It is his almighty, powerful way of saying, I am going to provide for you. I am going to take care of you. And this is this hidden manna that is for his people. There, there is this for those of you. And the white stone, and I, I did a lot of research on this, and I got some conflicting things. But one thing that I do remember is that that they called them pebbles, and there was these white and, and there were black pebbles. And a lot of times, there could be a vote for whether somebody was innocent or guilty. And each person was given a white and a black stone. And a white stone, if you voted, and they would count them and make sure that the white means that you were acquitted. And so let me tell you, the picture that I see in this is just the gospel of Jesus Christ saying that the white stone that he gives you with your name on it is saying that you are an acquitted person. You are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God, and you are innocent. That is just, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are declared innocent and righteous before God. You are given a white stone with a new name written on it because you are his son and your da his daughter. Man, this makes me excited to preach this morning. Come on, this is so amazing. This is the gospel of life and of hope. This is not a, a book of, of sin and dread. This is God saying, you are my people. I'm gonna give you this white stone that says you are innocent that you are mine, and this is your new name. Man, I just hope I can pronounce mine. All right. Would you please stand? Would you put up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 for me? This is, I, I, as I was thinking about how I wanted us to end this morning after reading a letter to the church of Pergamum. Friends, if you are reading this on your own and you read these letters to, to the churches, they are for us today. They are 
absolutely for us today. And that, that's really the goal of this, to say this is not some ancient text that was for those people right then. This is for us and our brokenness. And this is God speaking to us and directing us in our lives. And this is for us today. But I thought as, a, as a, just a church body, I want us to read this together because this is a powerful message of what we as a people are supposed to do when it comes to repentance and when it comes to change. So let's go ahead and start at verse 14. Let's read together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Praise you, Jesus. Would you just turn your hands towards heaven? And this promise is saying that the Lord is here. His eyes will be open and his ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Would you please offer a prayer to the Lord right now? You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.